So take your Bibles this morning and turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look at one verse this morning, verse 15. Colossians 2, verse 15. In chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, we have the subject of the supremacy of Christ. And we saw the significance of Christ in verses 6 and 7. And then we saw the identification with Christ in verse 9 to 15. And the forgiveness of Christ last uh, week, verses 12, or verse 13 and 14. And to this morning we want to look at the victory that Christ has given to us. The Bible says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through, through him. The Lord Jesus Christ has whipped, in one sense, Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. And that happened at the cross. And in the Bible we read over and over again that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the victor. He is the one who gave us that victory at the cross. He defeated him. Having, uh, when we look at this verse, it says he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. The word disarmed is a word which means to put away from. And it is used in a metaphorical way of stripping of clothes. Take a look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Colossians 3, verse 9. He says, do not lie to one another since you have laid aside, and that's our, worm, our word, disarmed. You've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So he's put away, he's defeated, he's disarmed the enemy. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we read this. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now the words, we see the same words in this verse, rulers and authorities. In fact, in some cases, this is also can be a good thing, rulers and authorities. And so it depends upon the context, whether these are evil creatures or whether these are good. I take it to be that they are evil in their nature simply because uh, we read in the Word of God in Ephesians 6, verse 12, if you'll turn over to that passage. Ephesians 6, verse 12, where in fact these same words, rulers and authorities, appear again. Ephesians 6, 12. Paul says the following, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He makes it very clear, Paul in Ephesians, that these are evil powers. 
you and I not only struggle with the flesh, you, not only, you, you and I not only struggle with temptations from inside, from our old nature, from the flesh, the old sin nature, but we're also in a battle with Satan and all of his enemies and cohorts. And he is highly organized, having powers, world forces in this darkness against spiritual forces and wickedness, all in heavenly places. So what you see going on in the world today, Jesus is uh, overall, but the prince and power of the air is really Satan. And Satan is in control of the world affairs and underneath Christ, of course. And he is called the prince and power of the air. So all evil that is false doctrine, all evil is basically satanic sponsored and is carried out by his demons who are false angels. And Christ is saying to us in this passage of scripture that we have, that he has conquered all. And he prophesied this in the very first prophecy that we see in scripture. Turn with me to Genesis chapter three and verse 15. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. This is right after Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden, or going to be kicked out of the garden. And here's the prophecy. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He is speaking, the Lord is speaking to Satan. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So I was inundated with these notes very early in my seminary career, and I've really uh, learned to appreciate this particular passage of Scripture. Let's just take a lo look at Satan and Eve. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. So what is the enemy? It's not the snake in the garden. I mean, I think women have an aversion to snakes, and so do I. I don't really care for them. I don't mind watch, looking at them in a museum, or not a museum, uh, they're dead there, but in a zoo. I don't mind looking at them, and they're very beautifully colored, most of them are, but a lot of them are deadly. And so he's not talking about the physical snake, in this verse, but the character behind the snake in view is namely Satan. And so let's take a look at that, how, what Satan is called. Turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. When Satan is thrown out of heaven, here's what we read. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now prior to this, Satan had 
access to heaven. We know that because he challenged God about Job. And he said to God, the only reason that Job serves you is because he's very wealthy. So God said to him, okay, take away his health. Or take away his riches first. Take away his riches. And Satan took away all his riches. He lost it all in one day. Probably Job was the richest man on earth. Well, that didn't work. So he said, came back and said, God said to Satan, what do you think of him now? And Satan said, he's still got his health. And God said, you can take away his health, but you can't take away his life. And the problem that Satan had was that God built a hedge around Job in the first place. By the way, you and I have a hedge built around us if we're believers in Jesus Christ. Satan can attack you at will, only at God's permission. And so he says, and also we have, he could not defeat Jesus. When Jesus came as a man and was placed, the spirit led him in the wilderness for 40 days without eating. And all this time there were temptations going on. Satan could not defeat the Lord. He defeat, the Lord defeated him by the word of God. Now, so this enmity, this enemy between Satan and the woman is because uh, there is, God wants to stop and quench the natural inclination of the woman and her love for sin and her love for darkness. You see, once she fell, she had a fallen nature, so did Adam. And God wants to quell that to some extent and make it an en enemy of hers. So God must teach her to hate sin. So God broke the false friendship between Satan and Eve and turns it into an enemy. This is basically the first token of God's grace in regard to their fall. So there's going to be an enemy between the woman and Satan. Furthermore, it's explained, the seed of Eve and the seed of Satan. The Bible says, and between your seed, Satan, basically, and her seed. The prophecy now goes, no longer involves Eve, but her seed, who will carry on the conflict between the woman and Satan. And it's not only Satan now, but it's Satan's seed between your seed, Satan, and her seed. So what constitutes a seed? The woman's seed cannot consist of the whole human race because Satan is an enemy who can only, uh, enemy who can only be fought with spiritual weapons. The seed of Satan are the unbelievers. The seed of the woman is believers. Now, we know this because Satan is an angelic being and he cannot have physical children. So the idea is modified 
by the seed of Satan, who's a spirit being. The seed of the woman must be the race of a spiritual beings, in other words, believers, who culminate in the person of Christ, who is ahead of the believing race. Know what Jesus called uh, the unbelievers. Look at John chapter 8, verse 44. John 8, 44. We'll go to Matthew 23, 33, and 1 John 3, 8. John 8, 44. Here's what Jesus said to the unbelievers of his day. You are, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Liars are from Satan. They can lie without even having a conscience. And so Satan's seed, unbelievers, have one father, and that's the devil. Now that's not a compliment. But when you run into unbelievers and they reject your witness or they reject all these things, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at all if they don't listen to your witness. Be surprised if they do because you know if they're listening to you, it's the Spirit of God. It's not the Spirit within them for they are lock, stock, and lock with the devil. They don't do everything the devil does but they're part of his race. Look also at Matthew 23, 23, 33, where we read again. Jesus is talking to the spiritual, the religious intelligentsia of his day. And he's not very complimentary. You serpents, that's a Pharisees, Sadducees, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? When you hear a false teacher, when you hear a false teacher or preacher, he is called by Jesus, your Savior, a serpent and brood of all vipers. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. So the seed of Eve and the seed of Satan is none other than the unbelievers. 1 John 3.8 The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for the purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Might ask yourself the question. What was Cain called after he killed Abel? Look at 1 John 3, verse 12. But as for Cain, he was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for that reason, he did slay him because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So the seed of Satan is nothing more than the unbelievers. Look at 
Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Here's the way Eve saw it after, Cain, after Abel was killed by Cain. Here's what Eve said. Genesis 4, 25. And Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and called him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. Abel was the first seed of the woman, and Seth was the second. Now he says he narrows it down again, and he, we have an issue between Christ and Satan. He shall bruise you on the head, and you, Satan, shall bruise him on the heel. The seed of the woman narrows down from a chosen line to a single person. From that standpoint of the New Testament, we note that this representative of the chosen line is none other than Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and handed de the death blow to Satan's head. The word is crush. He will crush you on the head. He'll put you down. Hebrews 2, verse 14 says this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. And through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. When you read the Old Testament, you, do you ever wonder why death is so uh, feared? Hezekiah, for example, he uh, was told, you got go home and get your house in order. And he prayed desperately not to die. And when the psalmists talk about death or the, the kings talk about death, it was very, a very dark thing. And they went to Sheol is the Hebrew word. The believers and the unbelievers went to Sheol. We have record of that throughout the Old Testament. And so uh, he had the power, Satan had the power of death. Kept him under, as it were, a uh, jail, so to speak. It was a paradise. It was a very good place to be. But we read when Christ crushed the head, Christ himself suffered a blow on the heel. In the agony of his bodily suffering that accumulated, the, that accompanied the crucifixion. The crushing of Satan's head was a fatal blow to Satan, and he's a doomed creature. Look at verses, uh, uh, verse Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 2 we read, let's begin it with actually verse uh, 1 and 2 and get the context of that a little better than just reading uh, one verse. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1. And, the, and we read, Then I saw the angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain was in his hand. And he lay hold of the dragon the serpent of old, who is the devil, and 
bound him, Satan, bound him for a thousand years during the millennium. I think you should be leery when you hear a preacher or when you hear somebody talking in an area of satanic, you know, the devil and all of this spiritual warfare, that you bind Satan or that he can bind Satan. That's not true. There's nobody on earth right now that can bind Satan. He's loose. And uh, only an angel, given a chain, is going to bind Satan. And he's going to do that for a thousand years while Jesus Christ rules on the earth. Furthermore, we read in verse 10 of this same chapter, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night, Forever. Now Jesus, it says in Colossians chapter 2, in our verse, he says, He made a public display of them. In John 12, 31, we read the following. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. During Christ's ministry... Christ displayed his power over the demonic world. And during Christ's ministry, he absolute, he displayed his absolute power over the demonic world. Take a look at Luke chapter 8. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We have a classic example here of Jesus and the demonic world. Luke 8, verse 26. When they sailed to the country, is opposite Galilee, and when they came into the land, he was met by a man from a city who was possessed with demons, plural, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in tombs, graveyard. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do, you, do we have with each other? Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. That's kind of interesting, isn't it, that the demon recognized who Jesus was. Even though many people did not recognize Jesus, Many religious intent, uh, elite did not recognize Jesus, but the demons did. And in fact, Jesus told them to be quiet. He didn't want demons proclaiming his name. In verse 29 we read, He had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles, and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert, or by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for we are many demons, and uh, many demons, 
that had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there were a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. Now what are they doing? What are Jews doing raising hogs? That was another question. You can raise them today without fear, but uh, we all like ham sandwiches. But that was uh, forbidden things to eat. And they wanted to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. How many, how many hogs were drowned? All of them. <laughs> That's true. Wasn't a number given? A couple thousand. Jeff would know. <laughs> That's an inside joke. He used to raise hogs. The defeat was open there and at the cross. As we said in John 12, 31. Now judgment is in this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Through the satanic host has been defeated and disarmed, they can still do very serious damage. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. 1 Peter 5, verse 3. Or first day, verse 8, excuse me. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. It says this. Be sober, be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is currently going on. It's going on for all of us. A lion in this case is sneaking around as the devil, looking for a time when you're at a, your weak point and then coming in on you. Now what might be your weak point? What does the previous verse say, 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting what? All your care upon him, for he cares for you. When you're not fully trusting the Lord and casting your burdens on him and you get in a, a state of worry and you get into a state of depression, what can happen? The devil, like a roaring lion, seeks to pounce on you. And it, for his advantage to take you when you're in a very weak point, when you're not casting your care upon him. So the point, of course, is keep casting your care upon him because, as the Greek says, it is a care to him. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 19, we read this. The 70 return they had been sent out by Jesus Christ to announce the kingdom, and he gave them protection. And he gave them the right to cast out demons. 
The 70 return, and uh, they return, and they said to Jesus, I was watching Jesus, why would, excuse me, let me read it over. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, Christ said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over th and power over the enemy and nothing shall injure you. This is uh, uh, the fact that Satan's going to be defeated. I would say this, just personally. Preaching on, on Satan is not easy. Because he bugs you as you preach. And I remember one day we had a brand new church building. And I was preaching on Satan. And above the pulpit was a uh, skylight. And I was in the middle of the sermon, and water came pouring down out of the skylight right on the pulpit. And I've heard of other men who have talked about Satan, and weird things have happened. He's alive and well, even though he's defeated. And like I say, he can do strange and sundry things with us. So how do we handle that? How do we handle that as human beings? Take a look with me and turn to James chapter 4, verse 7. James 4, verse 7. In our Bibles. We don't run around casting out demons. But James tells us how we do it. In 4, 7. I thought it was the right verse, and I'm not seeing it. I got it wrote, written down wrong, written down wrong. It's there? James 4, 7? Oh, I'm in First Peter. I panicked. Okay, it is there. Submit yourself, therefore, or submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So how's the way you're going to defeat Satan? Submit to God. Submit to him, and he will flee from you. God's more powerful than he is. When Jesus died, he descended into the place of uh, a part of Sheol, which was the place of the dead in the Old Testament. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 31. Acts chapter 2, verse 31. Peter says, and he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Satan had no power over him. When during the time he was dead to the time he rose again, he was in paradise. He was in 
the place of the dead. And Christ gained the keys of death and Hades. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. We read in the scriptures this. Jesus is uh, given a revelation to John, and he, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man and placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. When Jesus rose... From the dead, he opened the door to heaven in his presence. So for us to die, it's not like, actually, the Old Testament. For us to die now is to be present with the Lord. And in fact, a place to be desired more than this life. We could honestly say you're better off dead if you're a believer. But if you love the world a lot, it doesn't seem like it would be, would you? But it's true. And Jesus, while he was there, proclaimed to the evil spirits, Tartarus, a pit of darkness. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and 19 and 20. 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. Talking about Jesus. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Who once were disobedient. When the, present, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. During the construction of the ark. In which a few, that is eight persons, were brought to safety through the water. Now while he was there evidently he went to the spirits. He didn't proclaim salvation. He basically proclaimed that it's over for them. There's probably the possibility of the spirits who were locked up, some demons were, that someday they might be released. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. 2 Peter 2, 4 to 5. Next book over. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the word of the ungodly. Now prior to this, before the flood, Genesis 6, 1 and 2, it says that the daughters, the sons, daughters of the men cohabitated with the sons of God, B'nai Elohim. B'nai Elohim speaks of angels as recorded in the book of Job. So there was a mixture of the human race. It was so bad 
that everything became tainted, that God destroyed the entire world, the animal kingdom, and the human race, saving only eight in the ark and a, two of every species in the ark. God did not spare them, committed them. In fact, I think when we read a passage in Luke, they didn't want to be tormented before their time. The judgment of the angels. It appears probably that every time Jesus cast out a demon, he threw them into this abyss. And he suffered. Jude verse 6. Take a look at that one. Jude verse 6. I'm exposing you to probably stuff maybe some of you have never heard. But you ought to know some of this stuff. It's in the Word of God. And my job is to teach the entire Word. Verse 6 of Jude. And the angels who did not keep their first or their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So that angels are doomed, Satan is doomed, and there's a great day coming when they will all suffer eternal punishment in the lake of fire. Now notice what he says here in the next verse. They're kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of that gray, great day, like just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Just as. It's a commingling of, of the se sexual immorality, it was homosexuality, that plagued the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And evidently, these angels who are locked up that we've been reading about in 1st, 2nd Peter are examples of this, only to say they're judged, an example for us today. Like it or not, no nation survives when the culture of the nation begins to accept homosexuality as part of an alternative lifestyle. It's sin. And it brings on judgment. No matter who you vote in as president, and no matter who you vote in as Congress, you need to remember, as long as this sin is tolerated by the government, encouraged by the government, we don't have a chance if the Lord doesn't come. We don't have a chance. Nation can't survive it. But he triumphed over them in Colossians 2.14. Or where Colossians 2. He triumphed over it. Take a look at it. Go back and let's just take a look at that verse. Openly. 
in verse 15, when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. When Jesus went to heaven after uh, the resurrection and the ascension, even though that Satan was in control of the world, he's a god of this age, he's the prince and power of the air, Jesus went to heaven directly and nobody interfered. Nobody interfered. When Christ comes the second time for the church, you're going to transfer, be transferred into heaven. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who remain will be caught up together with him in the air. And Satan and all his demonic hosts are absolutely powerless to stop us. In fact, today, you can submit to the Lord and be, have victory over Satan. You can say no to Satan in the power of God and enjoy freedom with him in every way. Thanks be to God that we have victory in Christ, victory over Satan. We don't, we, we, he may have influence over us, and very much like Peter when Jesus said, look, I've got to go and suffer and die. And Peter said, be it far from you, Lord. And the Lord rebuked him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because unwittingly he lined up with Satan's goal, which was not to have Jesus go to the cross. So we can be unwittingly lining up with Satan if we don't know this book. We got to know this book and realize that Satan is defeated. Thanks be to God. Let us stand for prayer. Lord, I thank you for the victory we can have over Satan. Thank you, Father, that you've defeated him, that you went to the agony of the cross and experienced tough pain and suffering, yet, Father, you were separated from the Father and bore our sins on your own body in the tree. We thank you in the process that Satan's hold and grip was lost and that he's a doomed enemy. And you have given us this time, Father, to walk by faith. You've given us, to, us this time to realize that even in our own lives and in the fact that he is over us, that you have, Father, kept us from him and his power. So, Father, I pray that you will use us today and anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior is a slave to his own sin nature and he is under his father, the devil. We pray the Spirit of God would cause him to think this over and, Father, to submit and repent of his sin, submit to you, Lord, and believe that Jesus died for his sin, was buried for him, and rose again, and he can have new life in Christ. 
So we pray you'll make this very clear, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.